every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis, and a warm welcome to Money Talk for Thursday, the 11th of May. Just a reminder that we're on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, you'll find all the links to your favorite podcast apps. And this podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, inflation in the US has dropped below 5% for the first time in two years. The annual pace of consumer price inflation dipped slightly from 5% year-on-year in March to 4.9%. That's the lowest since April 2021. Economists had expected it to remain steady at 5%. However, core inflation, which excludes food and energy, remains sticky, ticking down to 5.5% in April, as expected, from 5.6% in the prior month. But it's barely moved since the end of last year. In a surprise move, China has named little-known Li Yunzer as chief of the new financial super regulator, the National Financial Regulatory Administration, which will oversee the 61 trillion US dollar financial sector. The enlarged national regulator was unveiled in March, and the new regulatory body will replace the CBIRC and oversee all financial activities except the securities industry. Mr. Li is a former banker, and his last post was vice governor of Sichuan province, where he served since 2018. The US Audit Inspector, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, said Wednesday it found unacceptable flaws in audits carried out by PwC and KPMG in China. The PCAOB found deficiencies in four out of four audits it examined by KPMG Huaozhen, the firm's mainland China operation. Three out of four audits by PwC's Hong Kong operation contained flaws. The inspections were the first carried out by the PCAOB in Hong Kong of the work of auditors on US-listed Chinese companies following an agreement last year with Beijing whereby US regulators were allowed to inspect the work of auditors in China for the first time. Google has launched a revamped search engine powered by artificial intelligence to catch up on lost ground with Microsoft's Bing. The new version will initially only be available in the US through a waiting list system before being rolled out more widely over the coming months. Google is also updating Gmail, Google Docs and its barred chatbots to use its language AI model Palm 2, which was also launched on Wednesday. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory, Mark Toe, Managing Director of Asset Management at Wingfung Financial Group, and Raymond Young, Greater China Chief Economist at ANZ. U.S. stocks posted modest gains in a lacklustre session after inflation moderated slightly in April. The S&P 500 wavered between gains and losses before ending Wednesday's session up 0.4% at 4,138. The Dow edged down by 30 points, or 0.1%, to 33,531. The Nasdaq Composite Index added 1%, closing at 12,306. Volatility tumbled on the day, with the CBOE VIX falling 4.4%. Chinese stocks extended their losses from Tuesday. The Hang Seng dropped 105 points, or half a percent, to 19,762. The tech index rose a third of a percent and this morning futures markets are pointing to a small gain of around 20 points for the Hang Seng at the open. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite tumbled 1.2% to 3,319 and the index reached 10-month highs earlier in the week. 
China will release its April consumer price and producer price inflation data later this morning. Economists are expecting a 0.3% year-on-year rise in the consumer price index, which, if correct, would be the lowest rate since February 2021. China's consumer inflation stood at 0.7% in March. U.S. Treasuries held on to their gains after the inflation data. The yield on the two-year Treasury note, which is particularly sensitive to monetary policy expectations, fell back below 4%, down 11 basis points at 3.92%, and the rate on the 10-year declined 8 basis points to 3.44%. The US dollar index fell to a four-week low before rebounding slightly to end the day down 0.2%. And it's close to going negative for the week, which would make it its third losing week in a row. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. It's time to welcome our guests, and I have with us our regular Thursday commentator, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning to you, Andrew. Morning, Adam. And also with us is Mark Toe, who's Managing Director of Asset Management at Wing Fung Financial Group. Morning to you, Mark. Good morning. And we also have with us Raymond Young, who's Greater China Chief Economist at ANZ. Very good morning, Raymond. Good morning. Let's start in the US with that inflation data. Inflation's dropped below 5% for the first time in two years. The annual pace of consumer price inflation dipped slightly from 5% year-on-year in March to 4.9%, the lowest since April 2021. Um, Economists had expected it to remain steady at 5%. Food prices grew at a slower rate of 7.7% versus 8.5% in March. Energy costs fell further, declining 5.1% shelter costs, which accounts for over 30% of the total consumer price index basket, slowed for the first time in two years to 8.1%. Compared to the previous month, the CPI rose 0.4%, which is much higher than 0.1% in March, but did match market expectations. However, core inflation, which excludes food and energy, remains sticky, ticking down to 5.5%. In April 2023, as expected from 5.6% in the prior month, but it has barely moved since the end of last year. Um, Andrew, maybe I can ask you to kick off. I I have to confess, I'm struggling to get excited by a 0.1% drop in inflation from a a year ago. But I I suppose maybe I'm being a little bit ungrateful here and it's a step in the right direction. But what, what do you think? Tell me I'm wrong. You know, I prefer very basic Mickey Mouse calculations, uh, not uh, because they are necessarily correct, but because it's the best that I can do. And that is, it took approximately a year of increases of interest rates from 0 to 5% for inflation to come down from, I've forgotten now what was a high, 8 down to 5. And presumably, the Fed would like to see it go down to 2. If I did a very, very simple calculation of each time uh, the Fed increased by 25 basis points, uh, X percent points fell on inflation, then perhaps we might need several more 25s to start bringing it down to two. I'm not suggesting that this is pari passu. In other words, one step at a time brings immediately inflation down. might be as much as six months. But if the Fed is deadly serious about the 2%, then there are still 300 basis points to go. And hence, that was a very small drop, but it was a drop, and that was, uh, that, that was interesting. But I don't think in any way, if one does a very simple calculation, means that the Fed has now stopped. So the notion that in June they are not going to increase interest rates, I think it's very premature. Actually, that's a very fine way of saying 
I think in June the Fed will increase. Okay, Raymond, what what are your thoughts on this? It's coming down, isn't it? But it seems painfully slow. Uh, perfect. I I um, agree with uh, Andrew's uh, diagnosis um, that um, that uh, the Fed has increased a lot, but then the inflation has come down a little bit. You know, if I look at this uh, core CPI, it's even more worrying. Still hanging around, you know, five and a half percent last night. So that's. Uh, a, an indication that the Fed is not really that effective in bringing down what we call the supply side driven um, inflation. To be honest, that uh, the wage inflation remains very strong and the labor market um, numbers uh, is not really encouraging from the Fed point of view. It's 3.4% mm-hmm. unemployment yeah. at the moment. And if you compare this cost CPI with the P crisis or even the pre trade war scenario at that time, we just talked about one. 0.8% of core CPI, but right now we're still at uh, 5.5%, so it's not really that uh, encouraging. So I would just ignore the headline CPI, but more on the core one. So how on earth does the Fed, I mean, it, it seems that maybe the easy work in getting inflation down has, has been done. How on earth does it get down to its target of 2%? Um, they got to do more. <laughs> so I disagree <laughs> with Andrew that uh, even though the market is now even expecting some cut, you know, the, <laughs> or the turn or the uh, rate cycle uh, before the year end. But look, I think it's pretty clear that the Fed is uh, holding this adaptive, um, you know, strategies, this data-driven um, approach, uh, just in light because of this uh, banking recent banking crisis. Um, so they just want to think about it again uh, before perhaps even to uh, restart the tightening cycle again. Mm. Mark, back in the days when I was an equities trader, I was always told by my bosses, don't fight the Fed. But the markets seem to be fighting the Fed at the moment, month after month after the month. They're, they're calling for maybe 50, 75 basis points of rate cuts by the end of the year. The Fed, in speaker after speaker, is adamant that that's not going to happen. So, so what's going on here? Uh, I tend to think that um, the, the, market, um, the, the, the market participants are actually... Uh, way beyond the wisdom of the 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 technocrats, but uh, I I think it is not. Uh, we 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 should not blame the the Fed officials uh, simply because of this, because uh, that's the the nature. They have to look at the data. They have to make decisions based on the subjective data. Otherwise, the uh, political pressure will be overwhelming for them. And I tend to think that uh, at at this moment. Uh, at least for the past few years, based on the uh, COVID pandemic, uh, somehow the inflationary pressure is, uh, is, is not really easy to tackle with. Uh, first of all, we have the uh, money supply, uh, uh, significant changes in money supply, uh, both from the days of uh, uh, since, since financial tsunami as well as the, in the uh, uh, COVID pan- pandemic. And uh, that complicated issues, and also because of the supply uh, supply side factors. But at, at this moment, I don't think that they will um, uh, raise raise by by too much to tighten too much, uh, especially given the uh, market expectations. Whether in uh, a rate cut, uh, which is not really likely uh, in in the foreseeable short uh, short term, uh, but uh, overall speaking, uh, uh, the, the market has a lack of trust. Uh, that that is uh, that is to say the least. Mm-hmm. I mean the the markets. 
um, for really for the whole of the year, haven't they? They've almost been sort of cheering as if uh, we're out of the woods on the inflation front. But as, as Raymond and um, Andrew have just been saying, we're most definitely not out of the woods. So you feel that at some point... Um, something's got to change. Either the Fed is wrong, um, and they panic and suddenly slash rates, maybe because of, but they only ever do that, don't they, when there's some sort of crisis, or the market is wrong, in which case, when there is a repricing, um, of investors, um, expectations, we're going to see some massive volatility. So do you think that's the risk well, for oh, us? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, I, I tend to think that, uh, in a sense, logically speaking, we can all both be wrong at a different time uh, for different reasons. Uh, uh, for, for for different reasons, uh, for example, of course, the uh, the um, expectations management between uh, the Fed officials and the market participants have been working quite well in in in, uh, in the uh, before before the pandemic, but after that. I think that uh, the the Fed officials have been um, lagged behind the, the the curve so much that every step it is, it seems to be offbeat, and the whole thing, the whole game, is not uh, easy to to be remedied at this moment. Uh, we 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 just uh, wait and see. But uh, somehow it is just like uh, two extremes. On 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 the one hand. Uh, the market participants may may seem to be forcing uh, some kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy to to help change the whole game, uh, the the the, the uh, rules of the game, and to to make sure the Fed officials to abide. But it is not quite easy for them because uh, they 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 have they have, they have their own agenda somehow. Mm. Andrew, obviously out here, um, investors are, are focusing on these Fed inflation numbers very carefully and also the jobs report as well, which, as you mentioned earlier, we saw an unemployment rate um, at the lowest level uh, since 1969. What are the implications here in Hong Kong uh, of, of what's going on in the US with, uh, with, with inflation? Well, uh, my answer is going to be two parts. First is if, if I look at my trusty Bloomberg screen, where all the major and minor stock markets, both in Asia and in the G20, it is absolutely dominated by green. And that is year-to-date increases in U.S. dollar terms, except, except, Malaysia, and Thailand, except Malaysia and Thailand that have got inflation coming, uh, sorry, uh, elections coming. Mm. That makes some sense. And, of course, good old Hong Kong. Yep. So now in the case of Hong Kong, of course, more increases in interest rates. Uh, you know, but with with a peg, this is not a matter whether, okay, but it is a matter when. So the answer is, is today. I wish the news were good enough to say perhaps this is going to lift a little bit the pressure of Hong Kong. And the answer is, is no, it will it will not. Assuming that uh, that I'm right, okay, that interest rates will increase. So the answer is, is today is not a day of good news for Hong Kong. Raymond, what, what are your thoughts? We got, um, obviously, uh, inflation data coming out of the mainland today. We got the consumer price and producer price numbers. I think the consensus estimate is for about a third of a percent year on year rise in the, in the CPI, which would take it to the lowest since February 2021. If, if consensus is correct, what, what are your expectations from, from what's, from the data today? Uh, correct. You point out a very important fact that uh, is a clearly an inflation divergence between uh, China and the rest of the world, uh, the U.S. in particular. Uh, you you talk about the CPI number today is less than fifty basis point. <laughs> this market is mm-hmm. looking at uh, 0.3 percent increase. But we have been 
I think perhaps you know, I might be the first one to call <laughs> the market to focus more on the PPI number, uh, which is uh, still in contraction, in even a larger degree of contraction uh, today. Uh, market is looking at three thirty, but um, our house is looking at three three and a half percent reduction in uh, PPI compared with last year. So. To some extent, we know uh, that the uh, demand side in China is very, very weak. You know, mm-hmm. We talk about the U.S. <laughs> unemployment as historically low, you know, in the year that when I was born. Uh, then now that we look at this uh, China uh, unemployment number, last month is uh, 19.6% for the youth unemployment. So uh, clearly you see that uh, it's a huge divergence in terms of domestic demand condition and in fact, if you uh, mention about the impact uh, on Hong Kong too, uh, with your discussion with uh, Andrew here, I look at that as, hey, what if uh, another 25 basis point high? Of course, that uh, the banks are not really trying to uh, match uh, with the same degree of increase in uh, loan pr- uh, the prime rate. Uh, but then uh, what happened yesterday, especially in the Hong Kong dollar, market is, uh, started to deviate back from uh, the upper bound uh, 7.85 to 7.83 now mm. uh, with the fact that uh, because of the local interest rates trying to catch up with LIBOR, uh, we got us over now. And uh, that uh, Hong Kong's high balls are still lower than the U.S. counterparts and uh, it needs the Hong Kong rate, the high ball, to uh, come up stronger uh, or higher than uh, LIBOR so that the cost of carry will start to help uh, stabilizing Hong Kong dollar away from the bank. So this is what perhaps what uh, we're expecting uh, over the next few months, uh, even with a uh, peak of the uh, U.S. tightening cycle. But then the Hong Kong uh, dollar market still has a long way to go to match the uh, U.S. counterpart. Mm. But the, the peg is a sort of self-reinforcing mechanism, isn't it? So in effect, it's doing its job. What's what's supposed to happen is happening. Funds uh, leave Hong Kong or, the, or they go into to U.S. dollars and then that rate starts to close. Um, and, and we see things come back. It's all driven by the interest rate differential, though, right? Mm. Because um, the high ball is lower than live ball uh, currently. So it just needs to be whatever rate, whatever the uh, Fed fund rate is, and also Hong Kong base rate. But then in the market, you know, we look at uh, the, the cost of carry. And this is all to do with uh, whether the liquidity condition in Hong Kong is tight enough so that high ball can go back to above. Uh, liable, and that would uh, help the PEC either stabilize within the band. Mm-hmm. Mark, one other thing going on in the US that I wanted to raise that's obviously having um, an impact, particularly on the bond markets, is these debt ceiling um, discussions. They, they broke up a meeting at the White House on Tuesday without any agreement on raising the debt ceiling. Janet Yellen says there's going to be an economic catastrophe if it's not raised, but we're also seeing kinks now in the bond market. Uh, very short-dated uh, treasury notes, which expire uh, in around uh, just over a month's time, yields are trading at record highs there, as um, and, and credit default swaps are pricing in now uh, the highest probability on record of a US default. How much should we be watching this and be concerned by it? Yeah, I I um, have a, a, a rather rather uh, optimistic. Uh, uh, view of this, uh, because uh, given given uh, the the reality that uh, there is no, as as Yellen said, uh, there is no real good option. Um, the the only way out is to 
uh, to raise the to, to lift the the ceiling, and uh, whether it is uh, voluntarily uh, done by by everyone or involuntarily, and and um, I, I think that that is the end game, and and most of the uh, if if not all of the people involved are, are actually quite aware of this. Uh, but in between, uh, you know, during the process, it could be quite um, uh, quite painful for people to to uh, keep uh, uh, keep uh, troubled tr- troubled by by all these things. And I think the investor sentiment at this moment is not really that uh, optimistic. Not not as optimistic as as mine, uh, because uh, we have all sorts of problems uh, happening at the same time. Whether it is uh, inflation is good, it, it is falling. And um, we have the unemployment. No, not actually. But uh, the recession risk, uh, as indicated by the uh, the yield curve, somehow the inversion uh, still uh, uh, trouble a lot of people. And now we have the debt ceiling. So overall, uh, don't don't forget the don't forget the the, the bank failures. I, I think all these sorts of problems uh, make the trilemma of uh, the policy making for for the Fed officials uh, really complicated. Uh, so at this moment. Uh, investors, I, at least for me as as a fund manager of a global macro fund, I will be very very careful on the bond positions uh, and and even even for 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 the uh, uh, stock positions. So at this moment, I, I think it is quite legitimate for people to to go bullish on gold and and also Bitcoin or all, all sorts of uh, uh, alternative investment, even though it is not quite like um, uh, the zero interest rate uh, uh, environment uh, in, in in the past few years. Um, Andrew, when we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, you've been resolutely unconcerned. Now today, uh, the cost of um, insuring against a US default in the credit default swaps market will cost you more than Greece defaulting. What, what do you say to that? Well, I'll go back again. I'm sorry, my needle is absolutely stuck. Because <laughs> clearly, cle- clearly it shows my age. You know, I've seen it so many times over so many years and so many occasions. Going back to year 2000, again, uh, that uh, takes care of all the of all the uh, millennials uh, around there. Uh, there has been at least eight occasions on which the United States almost defaulted. At least three of those, the government the government actually sat down. I will repeat that very slowly. I might be wrong on the actual number. It will be not not less than two, possibly not less than three. They actually sat it off. They said, Ministry of Finance, sorry, Ministry of Agriculture, close. Ministry of, except the Defence Department, okay, and then uh, the Treasury found ways in which they could extend the period in which they will carry on funding without increasing the debt limit for two more months. So, mm. in other words, I have no idea what is the game that is being played there, because looking at the cuts that the Republicans are wanting, it's not the kind of thing, you know, less money on abortions and less money on, on gender equality. It's not as simple as that to make it to make it crude. Mm. So I'm afraid I have to remain nonplussed on that. Okay. okay. It happened eight times at least and it's going to happen again. Well, we shall see. We're coming up to this June the 1st that, that Janet Yellen says um, is, is the deadline, but we shall see over the next coming weeks. Raymond, I want to switch to China, get your thoughts on some of the data that we've had um, this week out of the mainland. I think probably the most... Uh, 
startling piece of data was this trade data and particularly um, imports unexpectedly shrinking um, almost 8%, 7.9% year on year um, in April. Um, that compares with a 1.4% drop a month earlier. And this is now the seventh straight month of falling um, imports and South Korean exports to China, in other words, Chinese imports from South Korea, which is sort of a leading indicator of China's imports, down 26.5%. Um, this is rather concerning, isn't it? Correct. It's more about the supply chain. Uh, for the e-port size, also uh, a lot to do with the very weak domestic demand. Uh, the Korean export number and as well as, for example, even the Taiwan export number are all dropping. Mm. So uh, if you look at the mainland number, of course, it's, uh, it is a bit surprised me that it's not a uh, double-digit increase uh, because of the base effect last year after Shanghai lockdown in April. Then a lot of people at least expect a, a double-digit number in terms of headline growth compared to the same month last year, but uh, it's only have having a uh, 8% increase. Uh, import size, uh, the actual number is just uh, 205 uh, billion US dollar, 10% drop compared with last month. So uh, it tells you that uh, even though everybody is looking at the China reopening, uh, can have a decent recovery, but uh, the recovery so far has been very too speeded, which means that the service sector, domestic travel, all the pictures you've seen on WeChat and mm-hmm. can tell you is a lot of people are, tra- are, are traveling uh, domestically, but the reality is that uh, manufacturing PMIs uh, coming back to below uh, 50 and uh, industrial profits been also been uh, falling um, to more than, uh, close to 20% uh, decreasing industrial profits too. So uh, it tells us that the imports uh, number is clearly reflecting uh, a very poor and weak uh, domestic circulation <laughs> from the terminology, by the terminology of the central government. And are there any signs that that consumer spending splurge, particularly, you know, immediately after China reopened and then also over the, uh, the, the Labor Day holiday, is running out of steam? And if it does run out of steam, given that manufacturing is in the doldrums, um, what's going to drive the, uh, the the Chinese economy forward? Uh, it's only leave it to uh, the only pillar here is investment. Mm. Now, the investment number, the FAI, that we are going to see uh, next week, uh, expecting a uh, FAI number uh, will be out. But that uh, so we're still looking at, you know, below 6%. Or the fixed asset investment increase uh, next, uh, uh, this month. And uh, bear in mind that last, last year, again, you don't have to reiterate this point that the April number, we have to take it uh, with a great caution because of its uh, base effect uh, from Shanghai lockdown last year. And uh, just 6% increase in the fixed asset investment is not really a decent number, you know, to be honest. And also, uh, look at that. Uh, I look at the last month's number and even uh, with a 5.1% in FAI, the 10% came from uh, state-owned companies. Uh, the private sector's investment is 0% increase, and this is a nominal number, not a real growth. So uh, it tells us that the sentiment, investment sentiment in China is not really that great. But this is only only pillar that the Chinese, the, uh, the government can count on. Um, despite all the stimulus and uh, local, special local government bonds issue that may help some infrastructure investment, but uh, overall the number still pretty uh, sluggish you know so uh, does it mean stimulus is coming is more stimulus coming no i just think that they they can do more uh they have done everything Mm. (laughs) it's just uh, the only thing that they have not done and really you know keeping it uh, tightly is the housing policy 
So uh, we really need to, to, to see any sign of uh, change in the policy tone towards uh, a uh, more relaxing uh, housing policy so that they can uh, name it as the poverty policy, not just a housing policy. That uh, can lead to people to think about, oh, poverty is still an investment good, not just for uh, not just for housing. So this is a uh, the, we are, the policy we are did right now that entering the uh, broad base uh, recovery of uh, not only the economic number but also consumption and um, the uh, whether China can get away from this uh, deflationary trap. Mark, do you what are your thoughts on this? Do you see this um, trade data that we saw out of the mainland as a warning for um, what's going on on the mainland economy? Uh, it has always. Um, uh, it, it has always um, uh, uh, the, the 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 negative negative impact on on investment uh, in investor sentiment uh, because of these data, uh, but uh, then again, uh, from for for all those years, I think the the Chinese uh, the financial authorities they have been trying hard, and I, I, I agree with uh, Raymond that uh, they they have tried everything. I think uh, uh, to 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 get help uh, from from all these things. So at this moment, I I, I think um, comparatively speaking, uh, uh, they they are not that bad. Uh, if uh, you you look at all the crises uh, in the global markets, uh, I think they 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 are, they are still manageable. But of course, uh, it it is not good. It is not uh, uh, quite as good as uh, maybe uh, 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 compared to ten years ago or or, or so. Uh, so so it, it it's just a very uh, uh, harsh reality that. Uh, High growth rate uh, in in the past few decades have to slow down somehow. Uh, without without uh, it, it is not it is not without painful lessons. Mm, but the authorities seem very concerned, don't they? Every time you hear government officials speaking, they they talk about the, the unbalanced economy. They're concerned about consumption uh, not holding up, particularly in rural areas. So, what do you expect them to do, Mark? They are yeah. Raymond, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I tend to think that the um, the government, uh, at least uh, for 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 the moment, uh, they they will they will uh, acknowledge that um, they they have tried uh, most of most if, if not all of the the possible uh, strategies, uh, and now maybe maybe they they may have to uh, yeah they may have to change uh, some personnel, they may have to change uh, some uh, uh, superstructure. Uh, to to signal something to to the market, but I I, I tend to think that they they have basically they have tried everything uh, mm-hmm. possible and let's let, let's uh, play with the time. Okay, Andrew, let me get your thoughts about Taiwan because we had that Taiwan export data as well. Taiwanese exports down uh, for the eighth straight month now, dropping thirteen point three percent. Although that was a bit slower than the nineteen point one percent plunge in the previous month. Obviously, Taiwan very trade dependent. Exports account for about seventy percent of Taiwan's economy. Is this uh, is this reflecting basically what's going on um, sort of globally? There's a slowdown in in global demand, particularly for semiconductors, and also, of course, we've got the impact of the chips war between the US and China. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the major, the key exports out, to, out of Taiwan is, of course, is, uh, is microchips, semiconductors. And uh, there has been a significant drop in the demand of those for two reasons. One is, of course, post-COVID, okay, uh, during COVID, there was a surge in the demand uh, for, let's say, communications equipment. In other words, that would have included not only um, 
handheld devices, but of course also also mobiles. All right now, post COVID, there has been a significant drop, and that was reflected on the demand for semiconductors. That's point number one. Point number two is is that uh, the variations in the demand for the individual chips. In other words, we treat semiconductors as if they are, let's say, food. Okay. Well, no, food is uh, is dairy and meat and bread and milk and 101 different products, and so is semiconductors. And uh, there has been a significant focus now on what's happening with the AI and the chips that are, uh, let's say, appropriate for the AI. And this is another aspect where both uh, Japan and Korea has made uh, very significant inroads. You know, I always tend to forget that Japan is also one of the major producers of semiconductors, and therefore it is in par, in par with, uh, with, with competition. And last but not least is uh, the yes and no position of Taiwan vis-a-vis the kind of exports that, uh, of microchips that the rest of the uh, G20 economies are now quietly uh, restricting and forbidding to go to China. Uh, this is an area which uh, I've tried to find out if Taiwan is in any way encircled in that particular little game. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can't, you can't export certain kinds of microchips to China that other countries are doing. I, I must admit, this is ignorance on my part, but I would not be surprised if this is an element that, uh, that impacts it. And last but not least, of course, the likelihood that the elections at the end of the year are not going to be China favorable. Okay, Raymond, what are your thoughts? I mean, this data that we see, not just Taiwan, actually South Korea as well, isn't it? It seems to be a window on the on the state of the global economy. Uh, you look at the uh, uh, SIA, Global Semiconductor Sales Number, last month is uh, uh, dropped below, you know, 40 billion uh, US dollar in terms of global sales of semiconductors. Compared to last year, the number was, you know, 50. So uh, we talk about uh, a 20% decline in uh, the semiconductor, and I believe that the cycle has not uh, bottomed. So we have to wait for a few more months uh, for the semiconductor cycles um, to bottom out, by probably by the end of the year. And this is clearly uh, not only because of the demand, uh, weak demand, uh, or the possible economic slowdown of the advanced economy, but also from the supply side point of view, whether there are new products that can drive uh, new demand, because this is more a, uh, um, a supply-driven uh, um, segment. That uh, if we see a new model of, of, of <laughs> a new mobile phone, then that can mm. help. But uh, it just seems to us that this has already reached a. Uh, point that uh, lack of uh, innovation that might not be able to drive a strong demand again. Uh, talk about this, uh, you know, the deviation stops the demand between um, China and the rest of the world. We also know that own domestic supply of low-level chips uh, started to uh, gain traction so that they can uh, less relying on uh, the supply from uh, the threat of the uh, other advanced economy too. Um, and also, you know, the, the uh, shift to this uh, advanced computing is clearly a, uh, a new phenomenon that uh, will probably less relying on a massive volume and massive amount of low-level chips, but more a uh, more sophisticated and high-precision chip. This is not my area, but that's what I've heard, you know, mm-hmm. from the industry yeah. experts that would uh, create some dynamics and in the end, affecting uh, Korean and Taiwan X1 numbers. 
Okay, Mark, final word to you. Let me switch to the markets. What's going on for Hong Kong stocks? Down 14% now, the Hang Seng, from the uh, the year high uh, back in January. What what are your thoughts on, on the outlook? Uh, uh, during the last uh, two months or so, I think uh, basically this just uh, a range-bound trading within uh, for Hang Seng Index 19 uh, to 21. I think uh, it's just a very – and with a thin market – uh, so basically, you see all the technical indicators, the the uh, SMAs are um, moving to together, and it is very easy to have some kind of breakout, whether it is uh, on the upside or the or the downside. But the signals are quite misleading. Uh, so basically, I I think if we can't really recoup the loss uh, territory on uh, twenty uh, twenty thousand uh, handle. It is more likely to to test the support at nineteen, uh, and and at, at this moment uh, the, the sentiment is not quite good, and uh, there is no significant uh, uh, positive impact uh, on 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 both sides, whether it is on on the mainland or on the U.S. economy. So basically, I think it it is more likely to test the support. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you all very much. You heard there Mark Toe, who is Managing Director of Asset Management at Wingfang Financial Group, Raymond Young, who's Greater China Chief Economist at ANZ, and our regular Thursday morning contributor, Andrew Ferris, who is the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Thank you very much for listening today. Please take a look at my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, where you'll find a lot more information in my daily newsletter about the topics we've discussed on this episode. On tomorrow's program, I'll be talking with Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and William Ma, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. And with a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, Director at Staten Advice. Please join me tomorrow. Money Talk. 